Oh, yeah. Let's get this party started up in here. Whoop, whoop. Hey, this is Mark. You're listening to this show probably on your mobile device, whether it's iOS or Android or even Windows Mobile. <laughs> Who has one of those? Uh, but anyway, you're probably listening, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or some other wonderful mobile app that brings this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. Yeah. But did you also know that you can find this show, among several others in this category, at the Tangent Bound Network? That's right. Go visit TangentBoundNetwork.com. Check it out where you can always get the latest episode of this and other shows quite like it. Although, admittedly, there is no show quite like this one. Hey guys, this is Enrica Jang with Red Stylo Media, and you are listening to Adrian King and Adrian Has Issues. guys welcome to adrian has issues i am adrian i met today's guest this is going now a couple of years actually because i met you what was a special edition 2014 or 2013 i think it was 2014 yeah it was 2014 that's right because i don't think there was one in 2013 yeah whatever the first one was yeah i think it was 2014 but she is a super badass artist out in the new england area and pretty soon recording artist <laughs> if the uh, link you sent was any indication but please welcome kate bresnahan kate how's it going it's going pretty well how are you doing i'm doing quite well i feel so bad because again i've known you since 2014 and i'm just now having you on the show and i just seem very terrible in retrospect no it's fine yeah, you were really cool because you did an intro for our show roughly around the time that you finally got to use it. The show kind of folded and I was like, I felt so bad. No, <laughs> that's all right. Whatever. Things happen. That was roughly around the time when we started to mull around the idea of getting the show a little bit wider. So we you know, went to special edition, talking to people, getting some introductions and just basically just getting our name out there. And what originally just started just being like, oh, hey, would you mind doing a quick introduction to our show? And it's like, oh, shoot, she's actually really awesome. Aw, so nice. And you did that book, I Don't Know What I'm Doing, which I know I talk about that one a lot, but I figure for anybody who doesn't know, would you mind giving everybody a little rundown as to what that book was about? Uh, okay, yeah, sure. It was a year of journal comics that I wrote around, I think it was 2013, I wrote the majority of them. I it had been a year out of college and I had done a year working at an Ace Hardware. I just went straight back into retail and uh, it was a nightmare. It was probably the worst year of my life. Yeah, that's like the backstory. I don't really go that into it in the book. But right after that, I got a job at an office for the first time and I found myself with a lot of downtime. So I just started drawing journal comics like my teachers had taught me in college. And I ended up with 80 comics going in and out of my thoughts and feelings and a lot of experiences I had, and uh, apparently it resonated pretty well with a lot of people, which makes me feel great. It really did, because, I mean, not that I haven't read books from other people that are very personal, but few of them are as blatantly honest as that one was. You know, it's hard to sound so enthusiastic about a book that's pretty heavy at times, but it was more from a case of, hey, someone's finally saying something, and I really don't know what it's like to necessarily be a female, but at the same time... A lot of those things that, you know, you talk about in the book kind of resonated and pretty closely uh, up until, you know, I would say maybe a, a year after that. And it was such a great read. And I don't know if you really meant for it to kind of take off like it did, but I think it really resonated with a lot of people. I'm really glad it did because I kind of used it as my therapy for about a year because it was it was a rough go coming out of college and not knowing what the hell I was going to do with the rest of my life. Right. Like, using comics as a way to cope with that, really, it, it made it a lot calmer in my mind and a lot easier to express that to other people. So the fact that other people have come up to me and said that it like, it really moved them and it had a huge impact on them, it just 
it helps me realize that I am nowhere near as alone as I once thought I was. And it, I think it, it helps inform my work going forward because I know that I have an audience that's going to understand what I'm talking about. That's something that makes comics or art in general so awesome is that connection with people. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you're a big music fan and so am I. And, you know, there's music that I listen to and some of it's very superficial. Like, you know, it's something, oh, this is fun to listen to just to waste some time. But... You know, you think about the singers or bands that you really love, and as like there's that deep emotion there, and especially the ones that are just sort of just very unflinching in terms of their feelings. You're like, oh my god, like there's a reason why we say, oh, I, I connect with this so well. Yeah. <laughs> and to the point where you get hyper emotional and you realize why you're getting weepy over Coed and Cambria songs, but that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you mentioned music. I mean, it's not funny. Obviously, we're going to get around to that, but. Uh... <laughs> I started listening to Courtney Barnett about a year ago, and that was like it was kind of a light bulb in the head kind of moment for me because all of her songs sounded like how I wrote my journal comics, just very stream of conscious, kind of punchy, a little funny, a little sad, but they like, all coming from a very human place. You've kind of dabbled in music yourself fairly recently. I know it was a couple of days ago you actually posted a SoundCloud link to, uh, I forget the name of the cover off the top of my head. It was called Lance Jr. That's actually a Courtney Barnett song. So badass, by the way, because you've only been playing, what, a couple of years, have you? Yeah, about a year and a half. I started taking guitar lessons seriously, and I, I took a ton of lessons with this couple in my hometown, and they were wonderful and super enthusiastic about teaching me, and they were the first people to really make me feel like I could do something with music. So I, I just kind of really fell headfirst into it, and I loved every second of it. For someone who's been playing for just only about a year and a half, like that's pretty impressive. I have been trying to play for about 15 years and i suck oh i doubt that no it's bad i learned the bass line to a bush song if it helps oh that's a start <laughs> you know because everybody loves razor blade suitcase song still even though it's 2016 some things never die <laughs> but gavin rossdale's career did <laughs> oh man oh that's dark oh <laughs> So I did notice, though, on a SoundCloud link, the name that you had there, is that like actually going to be like your artist name, or are you forming a band? I would love to form a band, absolutely. I'm kind of using the Rocket Pops as like my uh, my placeholder name. Hopefully, I'd be able to have a band under that name, but for now, I'm just going to put all my music and kind of music video stuff under it, so I don't have it directly associated with just like Kate Bresnahan, the solo artist, because that's not what I want. Not exactly the vibe you want to give off? No, I'd, I would much prefer to have a band just because I like the camaraderie and the uh, the cooperation and collaboration that a band would ensue. Right. Yeah, like being an, a comic artist especially, it's such a solitary way to live. Like, like even in the big two, there's an assembly line of like sketcher, uh, inker, colorist and stuff, but... It's it's still very solitary. Everyone does their work on their own in their room alone, and there's not a whole lot of performance to it. But with a band especially, it's an incredibly different opportunity to like work with other artists in person and have that conversation live with each other. I guess that's true. Now that you think about it, there really aren't any like teams or even duos in comics. Like off the top of my head, I could think of uh, McKelvey and Gillen because I just assume they do everything together. <laughs> yeah, they probably like sleep in the same bed. Right. But other than them, I can't think of any comic creators who are all like in the same room, kind of just going back and forth. I'm like, yeah, it probably doesn't work that way. A lot of people like they get into cafes and they draw together, but usually it's everyone in crunch time. Everyone is alone staring at their work, not speaking to anyone. So, but the thing is, I found out very recently that I'm not as introverted as I once thought I was. I'm actually a very sociable person, and I, I love getting out into a crowd of people and like meeting a ton of new faces. So, like the switch to music was kind of it was like a breath of fresh air because I was tired of like sitting alone in a room not speaking to anyone because that just depresses me. It bums me out. Wicked bad. It's amazing how that works, right? Like, you just take up something, and not like you had any plans to really go anywhere with it, but it just completely just changes your outlook. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, you can just run across literally anything in your everyday life and just suddenly be like, I love this, and I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, it just could happen at any moment. And I didn't even know that you were a singer. Like, goddamn, Kate. <laughs> like... I didn't either until I sung for my teachers, and they were like, hey, you have a voice and you can sing? And I was like, I guess so. I've been singing in the car for 15 years. I suppose I could sing. And so <laughs> it took outside validation for me to understand that I could actually do something like that for real instead of just, you know, singing Beatles songs to myself on my commute. 
hey, there's nothing wrong with Beatles songs in your commute. However, I, I do feel that at some point there should be like a really cool series of not even just singers of just doing like, okay, here's the stuff they record and here's stuff that they sing while they're driving. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really cool. I'd love to watch that. It'd kind of be like the musical equivalent to like Seinfeld's, uh, you know, comedians and cars getting coffee. Oh, uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. There you go. New plan. You can totally use that. I don't even know what a kickback for it. All right. All right. I, I'll, I'll credit you in the I'll put you into the special thanks section. <laughs> so I guess I should probably do a little bit of an origin story, though. So at one point, did you decide that getting into illustration design was something that you really wanted to look into? Yeah, you know, the weird thing is, I never even wanted to go to art college. In high school, I just wanted to, like, just get out of school and just, like, start working at the saddest companies. And just I didn't have any ambition or anything. And even when I was in college for art, I was like, I'll never be able to make money as an artist. I'm not good enough. I don't know how to hustle at all. I'm just kind of a an everyday kind of boring person but then i don't is the longer i made art the better i got at it and the more interesting it became to me to try and work with people so it was just kind of like a very very gradual process over years and years of just wanting to make art for other people i really do love the dandy warhol pieces you did <laughs> thanks i don't know like i think they'd be really cool tour flyers i think so too i'm gonna have to talk to the band and try and uh, hustle my way into that i don't think you're too far off though like i know like let's say becky clunan does some like really cool stuff um yeah. for like gerard way and stuff like that so hey hey you know what it, the best thing you can do for your life is talking to the people that you admire the most and hoping that you can make that connection even though a lot of people say that if you meet your heroes, you're going to be disappointed. I've met my heroes, and I love them even more because of it, just because I've got really cool heroes, I think. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that phrase a lot more maybe recently. I don't know if it's a social networking thing that has come up a lot, but is it wrong that I didn't even know that was a saying up until fairly recently? I'm glad that you didn't know that that was a saying, because that saying is like the bane of my existence. I want to meet people. If I'm someone's hero, I want to know about it, and I want to make friends with them. Right. But I wonder what was the basis behind the saying? Like, I wonder if just someone, I don't know, met someone they really admired or were like a complete asshole about it. I think that happened a lot, like back in the day when like legends were made, like huge rock stars and giant artists and th people that were way too big for their britches and people forgot that they were actual human beings with emotions and souls. So they had this this massive uh, idea of who this person was going to be before they ever met them. And then that person fell short. I think that's basically the problem. I wonder if it would have been any different if social networking had existed for much longer. True. Actually, you know what? The thing is, the reason I even got to meet the Dandy Warhols is because they're all on Facebook and they all interact with their fans on Facebook. And that's kind of a sort of weird double-edged sword because it's always cool when people in bands reach out and they're not necessarily a matter of, oh, let's record, let's put our music out, let's sell stuff, and then, pardon my language, but they fuck off for, like, months until the next release comes out. Yeah. But, yeah, but at the same time, it's like, it's okay, you're accessible to your fans, but then sometimes your fans can be a little batshit insane. Yeah, that's very true. It really does depend on the group or the artist and the people that they attract to their work. But before meeting you and knowing that you're a big Dandy Warhol fan, like I always thought they were that band that were just so badass, like they didn't even need to speak about it. That's what I thought too. For the longest time, I totally I didn't even meet them in person until like a year and a half ago for real. And I've been a fan of them since 2005. I should know this because I'm always good with my dates as far as music releases. <laughs> when did the Dandy Warhols Come Down come out? That came out in '98, I think. Okay, yeah, I just remember watching MTV, which it had to have been a while ago because there are still music videos. Yeah. But um. Oh no, it's I'm sorry, I just took my copy down from the shelf. It was 97. That was a year off. Love it. You're like right on top of it. She's like, I have it right here. <laughs> I'll never forget it. It was late because as an insomniac, most of my TV viewing was at, you know, two or three in the morning and yeah. at that time all the weirdest shit comes out like there's <laughs> never any just normal honeymooners type sitcoms it's always like a lot of tool videos and a lot of movies that you know probably shouldn't be played during the day <laughs> so i was flipping through the channels and it was um what's the single not if you're the last junkie on earth yeah, I was assuming that was what you were going to talk about. Being in grade school at the time, I'm like, I don't know anything about drugs other than dare. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just like dancing syringes and I don't know what's happening, but there's a mime throwing up in a toilet. They're like, <laughs> there's a giant car on fire. 
Oh, that's a beautiful video. It is a great video, but I just, I had no idea what it was I was seeing. All I knew was I wanted more of it. Yeah. Oh, it's addictive. And then I kind of fell off at that point. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. For a very long time, I was very, like, into the singles of theirs. Yeah, it's understandable. Like, a good single. But, yeah, like, that video, it just kind of, like, blew my mind. I'm like, this is just the weirdest thing I've seen up to this point. Yeah. But then it came out roughly around the time as, like, Hayes Choice was a thing. So there's just a lot of very heavily drug-influenced music. And I'm just like, how am I okay at this point? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I was the straightest, edgest teen ever. I didn't touch alcohol until the moment I turned 21. And I, I don't think I even, like, smoked anything until three years ago. And I listened to this music that, like, half of it is directly about drugs, and the other half is directly about just, like, getting wicked fucked up at a party. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah, I resonate with that totally. It's like, no, I don't. Yeah, literally. It was just, I just enjoyed the way it sounded, I guess. I thought they were so cool. Right? And I guess, like, we were pretty much an audience, people who listened to this, like, you know what? Can I do heroin at this point? Like, please. <laughs> That's all right, right? I mean, they're saying that doing heroin's not great, but like, I can do it, right? Yeah, but at the same time, though, if you say something's not good with harmonies that are amazing, yeah, the catchiest song in the world. <laughs> and then you start going back and you realize every song of it's not about sex; it really is about drugs. I'm like, shit, they got me. Yeah, literally. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then, like, I had this whole argument once with my parents, because, you know, every so often they slip into that, you know, music of our generation was that much better. I'm like, <laughs> not really. <laughs> it was it was pretty, pretty grody. It really was. I love, like, my one of my favorite musical artists is Patti Smith, and every other, like, she's big, her big hit was Because of the Night, but the rest of her music is all just like, I was fucking this guy in this hotel room, and then we did a ton of cocaine. It was just like, it's all, <laughs> it's all that. Like, punk is all that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I have to listen to more of her stuff because I didn't even think about it like that. Oh, Patty Smith is rad. She is the most rock and roll chick I've ever seen in my life. But I, I love indie women in music, especially when it comes to either punk or even, especially country, like old school country. Mm. I just love the fact that there's just a almost like it's an entire genre of songs where it's like my husband's no good, so I went in his room and just gunned him down one day. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. This Whoa. is what I'm talking about. This is amazing. Straight up gangster rap, but with like a sweet chord put to it. No one better tell me again that music now was much more explicit. Like the vocabulary got a little looser, but yeah. still the same premise. It's mostly, yeah, it's mostly just a different vocabulary. Like they, they got around how to like say things that were censored back in the day pretty well. As a writer and a lover of words, it's like, you know what? It's, it's kind of brilliant. I actually had to sit down. It's like, okay. Yeah. How do I get around saying I did a bunch of cocaine? <laughs> I mean, shoot, when the Dandy Warhols came out, I'm like, are you allowed to say heroin in a song? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it was the 90s, so, I mean, everyone was pretty fucked up back then. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Meanwhile, I was just a kid who was just like, you know what? Drugs are terrible, but that's Okay. Fast forward years later, it's like, I'll never touch drugs and or alcohol until, you know, you're 25 and you're like, wait, where did I wake up? You're like, oh, I hate everything. I just want to be totally wasted right now. <laughs> I get it. I understand. But then it's like at that point, everybody just assumed like, you know, I'd go out and be like, oh, make sure you get a safe ride home and find a safe place to crash. And I'm like, what do you think I'm going to be doing? Like, I'm going to be partying that hard knowing full well I'm at somebody's house drunk playing Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a good evening. Oh, it's a great evening. Trust me, there's nothing better than not necessarily intentionally drinking, but just having a few and trying to play Nintendo because you realize your skill level completely changes. I'm pretty sure that's how most of them were designed. <laughs> that's true. I should do that. So as far as the music goes, do you have any other covers lined up or are you working on any original music? Uh, well, I'd love to work on original music. I just need to get better at writing original music before I, I really get gung-ho about it. But I do have a couple of covers uh, I'm going to the uh, the Game Grumps Live next week, so I really want to get a Ninja Sex Party cover in. That sounds like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Thanks. I'm really excited about it. I've been practicing Unicorn Wizard for uh, a few months now, trying desperately to get my lead guitar skills up to snuff, but hopefully I can get it done within the next week. Oh, so what is it like? You're actually like performing at the, the live event? No, no, no. I just, I'm going to the meet and greet and I want to go up to Danny and Brian and be like, I love your band. Please listen to my version of your song. 
they were a huge influence on my my choice to like really pursue music because they were funny and really good at it and the way that they talk about it on the show is just really interesting and inspiring so i kind of wanted to share that with them i'm actually working with a couple of other friends on a cover of godless by the dandy warhols and i'm pretty excited about that I mean, I only know you from the comics, but it's like you totally turned into this badass ever since you grabbed the guitar. Like, I love it. Well, you know, everyone always said to me that my comics were such like an honest and raw uh, thing to say. But as I was writing them, I knew I was leaving out a lot of stuff, like a lot of things I wanted to do. Like, I've always wanted to play guitar or perform in front of people, but I was always just like, that's not me. I could never do that. But people don't want to see this. But then when I started playing guitar, I was like, no, this is absolutely what I want to be doing right now. This is the greatest decision I've ever made. So I feel like playing music is a lot more honest for me. You can edit comics so easily and script them however you want. But if you're performing music live, like that's it. There's nothing between you and an audience. And it's just it's a really beautiful experience. I guess it makes a difference since that's what you really want to do. Not that, you know, you dislike art necessarily. No, I love art. I love making art so much. And I finally got to a point where I was happy with what I was making. Like, I'm not content with it. I'm going to keep trying to get better. But, like, I finally reached a point where I was happy to show people what I was making, which is, I think, a huge turning point in any artist's life. And a lot of people reach it sooner than others. It took me, oh God, like 13 years to get to the point where I was happy with what I was making. But it's not that long a time if you think about it. I know, I know, but considering I'm 26, it's still a good chunk of my life that I've dedicated to this one craft. That is very true, but to be completely honest with you, I mean, I'm going to be 32 in October, and I don't know, like, part of me kind of got scared where it's like, oh, shit, like, am I midlifing already? Like, I get those things where it's like, oh, God, like, I'm already 30, like, can I actually do anything? You know, because for so many people, for a very long time, I don't know if it's just life expectancy, but being in your 30s kind of meant, like, all right, that's it. Like, whatever you were doing before that, you got to stop that shit and, you know, get your nine to five and, yeah, you know, get to your house and the kids and the two stories of kind of thing and i'm like oh shit can i do anything i'm like i'm just now trying to get into film school at 30 and it's like well maybe it doesn't make much of a difference and so many people are saying like it's not a thing and i'm still trying to convince them they're wrong but maybe they're right honestly like i thought i was way too late to start learning guitar at 20 uh how old was i 20 i think it was 25 when i started to learn but i actually did look up a ton of favorite guitarists on wikipedia to see when they started learning how to play and a few of them started pretty late so i was like all right i mean they're great i can try too right it's never too late to start something that you love that is true but then i started wondering where did that kind of stem from where did this whole belief that you know like that idea that your teenage years are the best years of your life i'm like fuck that noise i hated my teenage years (laughs) if my teenage years were the best years of my life i would be the saddest person in the universe right i mean there'd be a lot of references to like final fantasy and that'd be about it (laughs) yeah there'd be a lot of kingdom hearts in my life oh kingdom hearts is the best (laughs) however i will say my condolences though because i always feel like as a final fantasy fan i feel bad because games never get released in a timely manner but if you're a kingdom hearts fan you gotta have patience (laughs) thankfully the latest game system i have is a ps2 so i wouldn't even be able to play it as it came out anyway so i'll just leave that to everyone else to feel sad about no, don't feel bad at all. PS2 is the greatest system. Are you kidding me? I'm a big fan. Even now, like I'm still discovering games for the system like I didn't realize existed because a lot of my games are like Japanese role-playing games, and PlayStation <laughs> 2 had a metric fuck ton of them. Yes, yes, it absolutely did. So don't feel bad that you're not the latest. Like I had gotten a PS3 just as they announced the PS4. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize all these games are coming out, and now it's obsolete. Yeah, yep. It's so quick now. I have no money to buy new anything except for, like, guitar stuff and art stuff, and that's all I can keep up with. A lot of the newer systems, the first thing I do is just play old games on it. Like, I got a PlayStation 3 just to play PlayStation 1 games. Yeah, nice. And then they started finally releasing some PS2 games, but it's, like, never anything I would actually play. Oh, really? I don't know, it's weird as far as, like, the PS2 stuff. Like, they haven't really gone back in, like, the deep category. You know, it's like Crash Bandicoot, Ratchet and Clank kind of stuff. But if you have the PS2, don't sell it off unless you absolutely need to. No, that was my first big purchase right before college. I was like, I need a PS2 so I can play video games in school. And uh, I still have it. It was, like, $160 at Best Buy. 
Nice. Uh, do you have like the the fat one, or do you have like that cool slim one? And the cool slim silver edition. I always wanted the slim, only because the original PS2, the thing's huge. Yeah, it's ma- we have one of those too. It was my mom's in like 2002 when we got it, and it's massive. However, the slim, I just feel like I'm gonna break it. Like it's really thin. I'm like, if you guys could do this, why didn't you do this the first time? <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, I bought mine in 2007, and even by then, it was, like, it was an old system by then. Oh, trust me, everybody was rushing to get their PS2s back, because, like, PlayStation 3 is coming out. Oh, it's going to be the next gen. How much is it? It's, like, $600. I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> okay, see you later. Let's go back and play uh, GTA 3 on a system I can afford. Yeah, right. <laughs> and honestly, I didn't even get a PS4. Like, I had won it in a contest. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to afford that either. Matter of fact, um, that's right, special edition, the, the same event I met you. Uh, what what was the um, the table? They were having a contest, and I entered it, and next thing I won a PS4. I'm like, shit, yeah. They had that at special edition the first year? That's amazing. What was the name of the guy? Um, Treadwater is the name of the comic. Um, Dark Rose Studios, that's it. It's like a sci-fi comic book. Uh, I think they're doing like a video game, and the guy from The Walking Dead, um, the one who played, was it Tyrese or Tyree? I wouldn't know. You would know better than me. I rarely watched The Walking Dead, but I remember him because he was on The Wire, but he was in it, and I remember going to his table, and he was introducing this stuff, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And it's like, oh, if you, you know, check this out or whatever, you enter to win a PS4, I'm like, all right, sure, I'll never win this thing. You know, fast forward, like, you know, a couple of weeks later, congratulations, you won a PS4. I'm like, oh. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) And it's like, what can I play in it? Absolutely nothing, because there's nothing out for it yet. (laughs) Yeah, give it a few years. Right. Oh, boy, that's so funny. It's like, ah, poor Kingdom Hearts fans. And don't worry, by the time they actually get that game, you'll already be on tour, so you could probably, like, buy 20 of them. (laughs) Yeah, sure, yes. That's the thing that new recording artists do, is they make a lot of money and spend it all on video games. (laughs) Oh, see, so the music industry doesn't work as it does in my head. Yeah. mm. (laughs) Especially not now. Oh, my God. Even these days, like, no one makes money in music. Only, like, the, the big, huge pop stars. Hey, you say that now and you might blow up. So, hey, you know what? Never say never. Who knows? It's like, hey, you just recorded your 18th album, even though you just started recording. What are you going to do? It's like a lot of blow and a lot of video games. (laughs) I'm going to play Kingdom Hearts until I die. (laughs) You know, this is kind of wasteful. There's drugs everywhere. There's video games without cases. Like, come on, Kate. (laughs) That would be the saddest VH1, like, behind the music special. It's just me covered in comic books and video game covers. <laughs> like on this bender, like first of all, who's filming this? So like it was the lowest point ever. Like <laughs> I ruined the first edition comic. <laughs> Did you ever watch the Weird Al behind the music? No. It's amazing. I don't know if it's on YouTube or any. Pl- I'm not sure where you could find it. Did he straight or did he did he Weird Al it up? That's what's funny. He wasn't trying to be like Weird Al, but it was just a matter of he's never really had an addiction. He's never really had necessarily too horrific of a life. It was the most like normal special. It's like, okay, I was born here. (laughs) I went to school here. Like I started performing and next, you know, I ended up having a successful career. Like and at any point you're waiting for like, okay, he has something really screwed up. He's not telling us, but no, it was so cut and dry. Oh, what a sweet guy. That reminds me, in high school, in my art class, we had to watch a bunch of, like, documentaries about artists. And uh, we got to Piet Mondrian, the guy who did, like, the square paintings of, like, white and red and blue squares. And his life was just, he went to school and painted trees, and then he went to a job, and then he started painting squares. Like, that was it. There was nothing interesting at all about this guy. And part of you almost gets upset of, like, where's the film? Where's all the debauchery? Modigliani and like that guy was drunk all the time and he like jumped off of a, a balcony and hit a, a like a fight with Picasso like it was the most dramatic thing and then it just like and then Piet Mondrian graduated from college and then he moved to the town and it was just oh god this guy how did he, <laughs> how did he live with himself by being so boring <laughs> that's almost what makes him such a bad artist like his life is so clean you know like okay relationships he's got to have i don't know a really bad divorce like he ended up marrying his high school sweetheart I'm like damn it they had three beautiful children who all grew up and got good jobs and then continued the line I'm like oh great cool so glad i wasted my time on this garbage <laughs> 
Yeah, I couldn't realize. Like, I don't even like listening to music from people who I perceive to have normal lives. <laughs> yeah, see? You need to have some kind of legend grow up around you. Yeah, and at this point, I don't even care if bands make it up anymore. Yeah, well, see, that was one of the things that I always had this preconceived notion of, like, you need to be this fucked up to ride this ride. <laughs> and I just I was never that person. I was always, you know, straight edge all through high school and then most of college. And I was just like, I never got a speeding ticket. I waited until I was like 16 to start swearing. It was just the most boring life. And I was just like, no one's going to want to listen to this. You just got to start selling the mystique, though. Well, see, now that's on a podcast, maybe I should edit that part out. So (laughs) as of now, we're completely rewriting your backstory. Okay. Yeah, I, I grew up on the streets, man. I was like from house to house, bounced back and forth. Just cursing, saying words like darn and poop. <laughs> I, I would just start making it up. I'm like, all right, so uh, I don't know. Like, I got kicked out of school when I was five. Like, for doing what? Not my homework. <laughs> I was so bad in school. I passed notes to my friends. <laughs> and those notes would get taken from me. And they said, what were you doing after school? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Dude. When I was in high school, my friend and I would actually, like, skip the last block of the day because we didn't have anything to do, and we'd go and get milkshakes. But see, as a kid, that's still kind of badass, though. No, no, they weren't milkshakes. They were root beer floats. Okay, that kind of takes it out a little bit. Isn't that just the cutest thing you've ever heard of? It is. It's, like, so Norman Rockwell. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, seriously. We could have been, and then we, like, drove around town just, like, talking about our friendship. That's pretty normal. I mean, granted, I would sometimes... Oh, shoot. Now, if anybody hears this, uh, hey, mom and dad, um, you know, like senior year of like high school, like we'd like leave early and go to like a cyber cafe and have land parties. Oh, my God. Yeah. Giant dork. Trust me, you are in good company. I realized I don't even have like those stories of your teenage years where you're just like, and not that I necessarily like glorify that kind of thing. And it's kind of sad, maybe in retrospect, but I'm like, I didn't have any of those stories of doing just crazy shit and like, I don't know, setting things on fire. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, setting things on fire in your youth is not a great way to go. I don't know. People tell stories, though, that make it sound cool. (laughs) That's true. That is very true. And it's like, yeah, we set a fire at somebody's house and ended up displacing an entire family. Wait, that's not fun. <laughs> I was like, they worked really well for the house. They were poor after that. They Their lives fell apart. But man, misspent youth, bro. I do it all over again. I was like, oh, no, this isn't. All right, maybe it's better I had like a relatively sheltered life. I think you got the the better life out of that. With the music, maybe that's the thing. Maybe you just don't have to be screwed up to have a voice anymore. No, I've learned that recently. Like, all of my favorite artists are pretty chill people. They're just nice and easy to get along with, and they're not wasting their lives chasing some kind of addiction. And they're they're more focused on, on making art than they are on, like, being popular. Yeah. You said to yourself, it's not like it was decades ago or even just a couple of years ago where there's only really a handful of insanely famous people, but a lot of people, you know, they're... Maybe they're not selling out arenas, but, you know, they have good careers. Like, you know, they're doing yeah. okay. Absolutely. Like, Courtney Barnett, back to her again. Like, she blew up huge, but she's still just like an indie darling. Like, she still is on Twitter and does smaller shows. Like, I saw her at, like, a maybe a 500-capacity venue last year. Like, it was the smallest venue in the entire Boston area, but she was playing it, and she was already huge. And I remember being at a bookstore like Borders and seeing a couple of artists and, you know, it's like, okay, you're performing in a a bookstore, but yet they're playing those shows like someone would play at MSG. I'm like, this is your space, you know, own the space. Yeah. For me personally, I would much prefer to have a very engaged audience and work that I am proud of than I would be having a very, very successful music career. If it happened that way, I mean, would that be something that you would just kind of just roll with or be like, nah, you know what? I'll just kind of refocus it. You know, honestly, I have no idea. I don't know how I would deal with that situation. It's never even occurred to me that it was even possible. Okay, think of all the PlayStation 4s you could have. So many PlayStation 4s. I'd get get a week, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Oh, boy. That is a riot. But yeah, I, I've come to realize this is sort of one of those weird lessons as you get a little bit older and realize that, yeah, fame isn't all it's cracked up to be because I've seen a lot of people, and not even on like a behind the music level, but just even on the fairly local level, just kind of like burn out and it's really sad. 
Well, another thing that I personally put a lot of stock into is mental health. Like, I, I'm sure it comes across in my comics, but I've dealt with a lot of, like, depression in my life. And I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to cope with those emotions and try and understand myself better as a person. And trying to have that kind of clarity of mind is definitely the antithesis of having a massive ego and just seeing yourself as some kind of rock god. Right. I wouldn't, I'd rather be healthy and simple than have a lot of complexity happening around me and be very depressed again, because that's literally the last place I want to be in my life. That alone takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of character. And that's why your book resonated with me, because it's something that I still battle with. Almost kind of like a weird day to day basis where today it's like, oh, everything's great. And then tomorrow it's like completely just, you know, someone just flipped the switch. Yeah, I've been having a very, very good week. And I've had to, like, let everyone know, like, I'm so happy right now because I've been so sad for so long that every time I feel even like the smallest ray of happiness, I want to cherish it. And why shouldn't you, though? That's something that you really work for. Yeah. Picking up your guitar like that's that's pretty significant. It really is. Playing guitar is the kind of emotion I have never really experienced before. It's just it's such a wave of just happiness to be able to make something like that. It's one of the great things about being creative is just. I don't know. I personally feel that I'm never as happy as I am when I'm either writing or, let's say, doing a podcast, because this became kind of my therapy and not in a way of like, oh, let me talk necessarily about the things that are going on in my life. But, you know, it's like you feel more human that way. Like, you don't you don't feel like you're your problems. Right. Art is a connection. That's what I see it as. It's a way to express your thoughts and emotions to someone else and that they can say, I get that. I understand it. You know, I don't dislike getting the feedback, but I guess what I'm learning, and I don't know how it is for you, where, and it sounds very selfish, but it's like, okay, I would probably be doing this whether one person listened or a thousand people listened. Yep, absolutely. It's easy to kind of get bogged down in that, and because it's like podcasting isn't exactly a passive activity, and sometimes you kind of do need people to listen. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I just know for myself, it's like, I enjoy how I feel when I do this, much like you probably feel like when you're performing. Yeah. Shoot, I mean, rock on, Kate. Like, <laughs> I mean, from when I, you know, first read that book and then, you know, interacting with you on Twitter and then with the music, it's like, you've really come a long way. Aw, thank you so much. That's really good to hear. I don't know if that sounds like I'm, you know, blowing your head up at all, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a really awesome, awesome change. And like I said, I love the cover and I can't wait to hear more of it. <laughs> Thanks. I'm really excited to do more. Like I, I only just started recording myself, and it was a definitely a learning process. Like I have just USB microphones and GarageBand to help me out, and it's not the easiest. But I I made something that I'm not like cringing about, so that's that's a good sign to me. It's so easy to kind of just sort of plug into what you have and just get going. Yeah, it's amazing. I am so lucky to have lived in an age where. Making something has never been easier. Unfortunately, that can kind of go the other way, where because it's so easy, you kind of have to sit through a lot of nonsense. Very true. It does make people strive a lot harder to make something better, to rise above that tidal wave of garbage. We have more garbage than ever before, I think, but also we have a lot of albums of just, like, grade A, just pure-cut, awesome stuff, because... You can't just have an album of, like, filler anymore. You need to have every track sound fantastic or no one's going to buy it. Absolutely. And that's why I love the fact that we're embracing singles and EPs again. Yeah. Because I'm like, if you can do in four tracks what you know, people struggle to do in 12, then you know what? You're, you're rocking there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, like 12 years old, and if I wanted to have one song, I had to buy the whole album. And very rarely did I listen to the rest of the album. So I prefer listening to albums nowadays, but I also enjoy that the album's qualities are much higher than they were when I was growing up, I think. Yeah, I do agree, because for a while there, it got weird. It, and I don't want to say bad, because I hate shit talking when yeah. you know, the people still went out of their way to create it, but yeah, yeah. It, it got a little it got a little dicey. <laughs> dicey is a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> 
I'm one of those people now when every time I hear someone complain about, and not even adults or like older people, I'm talking about people who are younger than me who go like, there's no good music out. And I'm like, what the fuck is your problem? Like, this is the best it's ever been. Just go to bandcamp.com and type in like literally any word and you'll find something pretty decent. Right? Like just Google good music. I'm sure something's got to pop up. (laughs) Just Google good music. Go to BuzzFeed, find a listicle of good music to listen to. (laughs) I mean, you got to slog through 800 lists about Disney princesses or Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Law of averages, you're bound to hit at least two of them. Very true. Yep. Yeah, it's just, and even, like, I love the fact that the lines between genres are even bending more than I thought. Like, matter of fact, my girlfriend was just telling me there's a Japanese band that plays salsa music, <laughs> like, in Spanish. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, wow. I love that. I should listen to that. Oh, I have to get the name, and I'll have to like hit you up on Twitter once I remember it, but okay. I never would have thought that was a thing. Seriously, yeah. Well, that's the wonderful thing about the internet, is you can find whatever you want whenever you want. Yeah, but then it also goes the other way. It's like, I could be doing something important, or I could watch Russian car crash videos. Yes, yes, that's very true. There's often a a lot of information you don't actually need to be paying attention to, but you do anyway. Yeah, I'm just hoping at one point Alex Trebek drops in the helicopter (laughs) and it's like, we've heard of you, Adrian. You're full of useless information. We need you on Jeopardy. Dude, I watch Jeopardy almost every single night. I am a monster at it. (laughs) I haven't watched Jeopardy in so long, though, but I mean, every time I go to watch it, I'm like, oh man, like I thought I was better than this. I don't even know if he even still has the mustache. That's bad. No, the mustache is long gone. It's a tragic <gasps> thing, really. Wait, what? Yeah, he's got a clean-shaven face. It's very weird. When did this happen? Have I been gone that long? I guess so. I think it's been a few years. Oh, man. That's like his source of power is his mustache. <laughs> yeah. That was definitely the source of all of Alex Trebek's charm. Now he's just a douche. <laughs> Wait, is he really? Or is it just... I think I just get excessively annoyed with him because he cuts in so much to the time that people could be spending answering questions. And I just want to answer trivia. I don't want to listen to Alex Trebek's little quirky bits of information. Oh, he loves to act as though he knows the answers to every question. Like, if no one knows the answer, he's like, uh, duh, it was Louis the Sixteenth of France. How do you not know that? And everyone's like, no one knows that, Trebek. You didn't know that. You were reading a cue card. Your life's a sham. You think you're so important, Trebek. Well, I mean, between Jeopardy and the fact that he sells people life insurance, it's like, you know what? I am goddamn important. <laughs> He's set for life. He doesn't have to worry about anything. He can be as much of a dick as he wants on TV. That's probably why he is, because he's like, look. Yeah. <laughs> if I die, I have a Lazarus chamber, like Rajal Ghul in my house. <laughs> I was like, I am going to live forever. He'll be one of those Futurama heads just hosting Jeopardy until the end of time. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, that's so awesome. Kate, thank you so much for hanging out, man. This has been very fun. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. You know, it's hard to do at a convention where it's like, okay, you don't want to come off as weird, and you're actually cutting it to people's sales. So, (laughs) I mean, sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) This was a jab at myself for not having a whole lot of sales at conventions. Ah, <laughs> That's all right. I'm taking this year off so I can like uh, I can set some things up for my own life, and maybe I'll be able to start doing conventions again next year. It, just, it gets very expensive. So I've heard. Yeah, it, it gets up there. I'm so jealous that you got to meet the Dandy Walls. I'm jealous of myself in the past. <laughs> Kate, I'm you from the future. Don't worry about the clothes. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I seriously quartered feet for like an hour, and he talked to me the whole time. It was amazing. Like for an hour? Oh, see, that's nuts. Like I've never actually been able to monopolize the time of someone at a concert. It was after the concert, and then we were all down at Zia's DJ thing, and Pete pops up, and I'm like, I'm in love with you. I'll talk to you for as long as you'll allow me to. And I kept being like, Don't, don't let me hog you. Like I'll, I'll walk away. You can go talk to someone else. And he's like, No, I'm all right. So I just, I ended up talking to him for the rest of the night, and I was like, Is this what it's like to be 15 years old again? <laughs> oh man, you should totally do like a Dandy Warhols podcast and just like have them on every week. Oh my god, I would subscribe the hell out of that show. I hella would. Like I've talked to Zia on the phone before. That blew my mind. Get the hell out of here. Well, because I was doing the uh, the DJ Rescue illustration for her, which I'll, I'll, I need to post on my own, too, because she's only posted it once. But I was working on an illustration for her, and 
she's very picky, so she uh, had a lot of things that she wanted to change. And she's like, it's just easier to talk on the phone. Let me give you a call. And she did. So how many times did you hyperventilate? Uh, I almost threw up a few times before because we were supposed to Skype, but uh, she hadn't installed it on her new computer. So we just talked on the phone and I was that was cool and professional the entire time. But afterward, I think I like leapt into the air and like started screaming. The thermals I played, and at the time I was doing a music blog, I had sent them a card um, after the show, and uh, the drummer Weston Glass, I gave him a card, like, oh yeah, no, I I read your blog. I I completely just shut down, like, I did that thing, and I'm like, oh, thanks, man, I shook his hand, even though it's, like, clammy, and he's, like, dripping with sweat, (laughs) and it was just, like, the grossest thing, but I'm like, I turned around, I was just like, I'm, like, literally mouthing to my friend, holy shit. (laughs) You know what's crazy? I'm going to see the thermals in a week. Oh, my God. Have you seen them live before? No, this is going to be my first time. Oh, such a great show. I'm excited. Oh, you should be excited. They are so much fun live. Nice. So many bands I need to go see, but I'm like, I'm poor. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's kind of where all of my money has gone in the past year and a half or so. Just like as many shows as I possibly can. If you can do it, just go. It's just there's no greater feeling than just basically just like living at shows. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And at least for you, it kind of makes sense because it's like, hey, you know, you're a musician, too. Yeah, but I, I've definitely been just like the fan before. Like, I, I only just started playing for the past year and a half, but I've been going to concerts regularly for the past like five years. So for a while, I was just like, oh, oh, it's that band that I just saw. <laughs> Please let me do it in the exact same voice. <laughs> Pretty much. I, have you ever heard of Fits in the Tantrums? I just started listening to them fairly recently. I've been a fan of them for a while, and I remember I saw them in 2011, and uh, I think Fitz from Fitz and the Tantrums is, he's a mega hottie, but uh, it was one of the first times I ever met the band after the show, and I remember very, very clearly, I shook his hand, and I was like, I'm crazy about you, and I was like, oh, wow, I just said that to someone. (laughs) But that's so tough, that whole thing of not fanning out. Uh, God, uh, the first time I met Lucy Nisley, I was sweating and shaking like the the worst animal you've ever seen. It was horrible because she's always been such a, a an influence on my work. And I was like, I've got a copy of my my comic. I'll give it to her. And I'm such a huge fan of hers. And she was doing a signing in Cambridge. And I went and I almost like threw up. I was so nervous to talk to her. <laughs> That was like the time my sister and I, we were at a Comic-Con, and it was like some little small panel room, and Stan Lee was there, I guess it's some project that would never went off the ground, and I guess everybody rushed the front, so I guess he and his people, like, they went to the side, and it's like, he's coming this way, he's coming this way, like, do we say hi, do we just kind of, like, let him walk past? Do you trip him, so he falls, and you have to say I'm sorry, and then help him up? Do you know the story? Because that's fucking weird, that's... (laughs) Oh no, did you actually do that? No, I, okay, I did not trip him. Good news is the guy with the giant tripod camera that looked like something out of Star Wars had his wires all over the fucking place, which is actually against fire code. But he, you know, and he's a little bit older, so he wasn't like he wasn't able to like lift his foot. I guess he didn't clear the cables and he actually tripped of his own volition. And before his guy next one could grab him, my sister and I kind of like, you know, stood in front of him. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. I was like, no problem. And oh, like, that's way better. I was like, that's fucking Stanley. Like, Stanley just thanked us for, we saved us. And my sister tells the story in the better way, because I try to be, like, very measured. Like, oh, you know, he tripped in, you know. She literally went around, like, telling people, we saved Stanley's life. <laughs> like, he's old, he could have died, and we saved him. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I like that I was just trying to tell a joke, but it was actually, like, that is the ultimate just, like, wah, wah. No, that actually did happen. No, but I think it's really funny, because at, at one point I thought, I was like, wait, are you reading my mind? Because, like, that's kind of what happened. No, I just, I thought that would be hilarious if Adrian tripped Jim Lee, or Stan, Jim Lee, Stan Lee, because he just wanted to talk to him. I mean, I might trip Jim Lee, but for different reasons, but... <laughs> Your Superman costume sucks! <laughs> It's like, your art nearly isn't as awesome as everybody says it is. <laughs> you're overrated. I don't know, is it a thing to, like, trip comic creators as you're yelling at them? <laughs> <laughs> we can make it a thing. Like, as they're falling, just say something really hurtful to them. <laughs> it's like, your pencil work is subpar. <laughs> it's like, why would you trip me? It didn't, like, hurt my feelings that way. <laughs> <laughs> Double whammy. <laughs> it's like, and they just like shed it like a single tear. Like, wow, you're you're kind of hurtful, guys. Oh. 
<laughs> well, before you do head out, tell everybody where they can maybe find some of your work. Sure, yeah. Uh, I am. My website is katebrezzy.com, K-A-T-E-B-R-E-Z-Z-Y. And uh, that's my handle on Twitter at Kate Brezzy and on Instagram and uh, Kate Brezzy Art on Facebook. I've got a lot of If you just search my name, you'll find me, I'm sure. Very cool. And I guess um, in either sites, you'll probably be posting the music stuff or is that like a completely separate entity? I post some of it on my Twitter and Facebook and stuff, but uh, if you want to look up any of my music, I'm currently on SoundCloud at The Rocket Pops. I like novelty ice cream a lot. <laughs> uh, Rocket Pops are really... Damn it, I want a Rocket Pop now. Yeah, dude. Oh, they're the best. Don't get a Bomb Pop. Those are not as good as the uh, the knockoff versions, like the Popsicle one. That's the best. That's the one I used to kind of go nuts over. Yeah, that's easily the best one. I think they're called, like, uh, Firecrackers? I don't know. Like, they always had, like, these weird kitschy names like that. Like, okay, totally out of left field, because I've been trying to tell people about this for years, and so far they've been making me out like I'm crazy. Do you remember <laughs> the ice pop the popsicle used to have called the Twister? Hmm. I don't know. It was roughly, like, the same premise of, like, a rocket pop, but yet it was, like, a spiral that kind of went up the stick as opposed to being just three separate flavors. Like, they were kind of intertwined. There's one called the Cyclone. Maybe they just changed the name? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, like, if one person gets an idea in one of these novelty ice cream companies, they're like, oh, I like that idea. I'm going to take the exact same thing but use a thesaurus to find a new word for it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just think about, like, corporate espionage. They just, like, <laughs> now that we have the secret formula, now we need our top researchers to figure out what we can call it. <laughs> oh, that's gold. But, again, Kate, thanks so much for taking the time out and chat. I I've had a lot of fun. That was awesome. Yeah, we must do this again at some point. Please, I would love to be back on. Oh, definitely. The door is always open. Sweet. Well, for everybody else, you'll hear all of my awesome information after the ending theme. But for now, that'll do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. And we will see you next issue. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. <sighs> Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, oh, McKenna, you're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, oh, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com. <laughs>